And I'll be reading from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 um, and following. So it's on page 737. Why don't I pray before uh, we hear God's word read to us? Father God, we thank you again that you are active uh, in our lives and that you speak to us powerfully through your word. Humble our hearts and uh, quieten our hearts as we come to your word now. Um, And would you speak powerfully to us? Uh, We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Our second reading tonight comes from Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 to 18 on page 450 of our Bibles. My son, do not forget my teaching But keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Well, good evening, friends. Uh, For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Simon. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers here at Church by the Bridge. Uh, It's great to be able to address you guys tonight to bring you the word of God uh, from Proverbs. Uh, as we continue to seek wisdom 
uh, not of ourselves, but from the wise person who wrote Proverbs and from, therefore from God himself. Uh, we're coming tonight to the topic of wise money, uh, the folly of chasing wealth. Uh, let me just say from the outset, uh, I'm a Bible college student. I don't have heaps of money. Uh, so you might be thinking, well, straight up, you're not very wise to tell me about how to use my money. I mean, maybe you've got a fortune and you're going, well, as if a Bible college student could tell me anything about how to manage that. Um, thankfully, we're not going to turn to the wisdom so much of a Bible college student, but to the wisdom of God himself in his revealed word. Um, and let me pray uh, as we do that so we might hear God speak to us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear you address us tonight on this topic uh, because we know that our hearts are actually idle factories. Oh Lord, daily we create things that we bow down before and worship in place of you. And I think for many of us tonight, Father, money is one of those things. And Father, so we lay our lives before you tonight. We lay our hearts open to you tonight. Soften them by your spirit. Give us empty hands, our Lord, to receive from you in your word. Give us wisdom to know how to live for Jesus in this world and how to know how to handle money that you give us. And we pray that this might be for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. I feel like the colonial bank, or colonial bank, has been speaking to me over the last few days. Uh, on Thursday, I uh, bought the Sydney Morning Herald, um, and I only bought the Sydney Morning Herald because the Sydney magazine was in it. I don't know if you do that. Um, I basically tossed out the whole paper and just kept the glossy magazine component. I love it. Um, and I sort of wanted to find out the answer to that question, which was on the top of the Sydney Morning Herald, um, is Adam Spencer too smart for his own good? I thought, I want to find out the answer to that question. I think he's pretty smart, but is he too smart for his own good? So I sort of yeah, tossed out the paper and opened up. And rather than landing on the article, I opened it up straight away to an advert from Colonial Bank. Uh, basically, it was telling me that if I had money, it was mine. And then if I had money and that it was mine, I could make that money grow and grow and grow so that I would become absolutely awesomely rich. And I was thinking, wow, that sounds kind of probably more exciting than reading about Adam Spencer. Maybe I should just keep staring at that full-page advert of Colonial Bank. Anyway, then I got off the train tonight. I stepped out of Milsons Point train station, and there, right in front of me again, was a billboard from Colonial Bank. And it said this on it, Welcome, Simon. It didn't actually say Simon, but this is my interpretation. Welcome, Simon, to the wealth generation. And I was like, woo, I'm here. Awesome. What the heck is that? That's what I was going to say. But, you know, it was crying out to me. Welcome to the wealth generation, Simon. You are you're part of this new wave of people that are, that are rich. Oh, we're really wealthy and we want to help you sort of manage your money and take a lot of it at the same time. But make you feel really good about yourself. Make you feel powerful. Make you feel influential. Make you feel successful. I'm, because I'm a human person, I'm sinful... I kind of want to buy the rhetoric. I want to go, yeah, my money is my money and maybe Colonial Bank can help me grow my wealth, buy that big house, do all the things that I dreamed of. 
We live in a world that is just getting richer and richer and richer and is seeking material wealth more and more and more. But at the same time, we're in a world that seems to be growing in wealth but actually getting unhappier at the same time. In the Sydney Morning Herald, one of them that I actually did read, Elizabeth Farrelly writes, Western happiness has declined precisely in tandem with the rise of affluence. Ross Gittins, another journalist in the Sydney Morning Herald, writes, there is actually good evidence that those who strive most for wealth tend to live with lower well-being. Material ambition seems to dominate us, whether we like it or not. Admit it, I think they do. If you really looked at your heart of hearts, material ambition drives us. I wonder if I was to sidle up alongside you tonight and find out who your best friend was and then go and ask them, hey, what drives Dave? What drives Sam? What drives Beck? I wonder what they'd say. Would they say, oh, well, she's a Christian woman. She loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. But, you know, he's also pretty ambitious with his work. Uh, He's climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, He's got a lot of money, I know that. What if I said to that person, but is is he or she, is is he or she generous? Isn't that what Christians are supposed to be, generous people? Mm, Don't know. Clive Hamilton, the writer of that book, Affluenza, along with Richard Dennis, uh, proposed that our seeking and our ambition for material wealth, as they call it, affluenza, is much like a disease. It's plaguing us and plaguing our nation like it's perhaps never plagued us before. In their opinion, we're in the grip of overconsumption, excessive consumption. In the Middle Ages, theologians regarded greed as not just a deadly sin, but also a disease. They equated it to the condition called dropsy. Does anyone know what dropsy is? It's kind of gone out of fashion, thankfully. But dropsy is this condition where you become so overwhelmed with the desire for thirst uh, that you keep drinking. And as you drink, what happens is you get thirstier. So you keep drinking. And you keep drinking and you get thirstier and you keep drinking and you get thirstier and you want it more and more and more until you, and you, you, but you're full. You've got everything you need. You've got all the water you could possibly want. And then you drink so much water that actually what happens? It kills you. I reckon that's a pretty apt way to think about what happens when all we do is pile our whole life into the pursuit of wealth. It will kill us. It will kill all the good aspects of our lives if that's all we hope for as Christian people in particular. In God we trust, so say Christian people. I wonder if really it's in greed we trust in our heart of hearts. I was reading of a minister uh, who was interviewing a, a man. He, this man came to his office. He was racked with sin. He was trembling. He was nervous. He was sweating. He was so distressed. He was embarrassed. He sat down with this minister a, and said these things. I'm a Christian, he said. I love the Lord. I, I'm married to a woman and she loves the Lord as well. I've got kids. I had a good job. I had a good income. It was enough to take care of my family well and truly. We were involved in our local church. But the money was never enough. It was just never enough. I chased it. I chased it. 
I chased it and I chased it more. I, I took trips all around the world and the country to make more money, even when I knew I had enough, but I wanted more. It hit me after a while that when my marriage collapsed, he said, he doesn't see his kids anymore. And he described this emptiness inside him that he just could not explain. I wonder if for him he'd heard this proverb that might have helped him on his journey. Don't wear yourself out to get rich, so says the wise teacher. Don't trust your own cleverness or seek wisdom and show restraint in another version of the Bible. If only someone had told him that before his life just collapsed around him. How much money is enough, they asked John Rockefeller. He said, just a little bit more. And I wonder if that's the thing for us tonight as well, just a little bit more. I think that about myself. I'm a Christian man. I trust Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. But I sometimes find myself going, I'll be generous if I can just get a little bit more first. Do you ever have that? Or am I my own? I see a few nodding heads. I feel, I feel okay. You know, just a little bit more, then I'll give a bit more to the church. Just a little bit more and then I'll be free to sort of serve in a different capacity. But Jesus tonight says to us with our money, he said, Jesus says, I'm better than money first and foremost, but he says, If you're a converted person, if you've come from death to life, someone said the other day, if you've come from death to life, so has your wallet come from death to life. If you're converted, to truly be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ means your wallet or your purse is also converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you go from having this worldly perspective to actually going, no, no, because Christ died for me, because God came in the, Son of, in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from all the riches of the world into our broken, messed up world, because he did that for us, came from glory to brokenness. He, be, he was rich but became poor. Why? So that we who are poor might become rich. Now, he came from glory to brokenness that he might redeem us broken people, that we might be rich. And not rich monetarily, but rich in God. We're going to look tonight together, we're going to scan through quite quickly wisdom's observations about wealth, we're going to see the warnings about money, and we're also going to see the priorities that wisdom places on the way we use our money. And then I want to show us just why Jesus is that much better than money. That's where we're going tonight. So wisdom's observations about wealth. Let's go through these. Our wisdom says, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Does that strike you as kind of a bit upfront, a bit harsh? Uh, one of the really interesting things that Proverbs does, a writer of Proverbs, this wise person in Proverbs does, is he kind of just lays out the world quite clearly. And when it comes to wealth, he says, you know what, there's really no stigma to wealth. That's what he says. Uh, We in the Christian world, I think we're a bit muddled on this one. We feel really guilty if we're wealthy. Uh, But what the writer of Proverbs says, in the world, he just states it plainly, there are rich rich people, there are wealthy people, and there are poor people. What he's really concerned is, how did you acquire your wealth? Did you do it justly or unjustly? And then he says, with that wealth, what are you actually doing with the wealth? And so he says straight up, one of the benefits of being wealthy is you've got friends. 
Uh, that's what he says. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor deserts them. Wealth brings power as well. Have you noticed that? I mean, we are wealthy people. We are, you might not think you're very wealthy, but we are the wealthiest people in the world. We're like in the top 1% of the population of the wealthiest people in the world just because we've got running water, clean running water. But we are powerful. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Ian mentioned tonight that Bridge Street, fancy offices, that's where the money is in the city, isn't it? And that's why politicians love the city because they want to come to the city to get the money to do what they want to do. The rich, with wealth comes power. A person's riches may ransom their life, but the poor cannot respond to threatening rebukes. Pa- wealth brings some security. Uh, with wealth, we can potentially cure ourselves. We can insure ourselves. We can make commitments and keep our commitments. In this case, it's kind of funny. The, the writer of Proverbs is sort of saying, hey, look out, the hijacker has arrived. Uh, you've been kidnapped. And if you're wealthy, you're in a better place because, hey, you can pay off the kidnapper and kind of save your life. But then he's saying, actually, no, but if you're poor, well, the kidnapper's probably going to be interested in you. I'm thinking a kidnapper wouldn't be very interested in a Bible college student. Um, look, I can take you to college and I can give you the meal they give me there for lunch if you're hungry, I think they're going to go, look, I'm going to go to the next house and find the guy who's really rich in Newtown. They're not going to worry about me. Wealth brings friends, wealth brings power, wealth brings security. Maybe you're wondering, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty rich and I'm pretty keen to keep that wealth. Here's some help for you. I, I, read, the, I read an article recently in the Financial Review Uh, called How to Keep Your Fortune. Now, I don't know why I was reading the Financial Review in the first place, nor do I really understand why I was reading How to Keep Your Fortune when I don't really have a fortune. But if you have a fortune, here's five hot tips for how to keep your fortune. Number one, swap the Patek Philippe for a Swatch watch. Trade in the Rolls-Royce for a Commodore. You're not allowed to have personalised number plates anymore, by the way. Cut up your Qantas gold fly, you know, frequent flyer card. Four, become a regular in all your luxurious habits like going out to fine restaurants and drinking fine wine. But above all, number five, how to keep your fortune, try hard to be dull. Try hard to be dull. Being dull, according to the Financial Review and this particular person, is the safest way to protect your fortune, to hang on to it, to protect your family. Now, I don't know about you, if you know me, I'm a pretty dull kind of character. I don't have to try very hard to be dull. And quite frankly, I don't know what a Patek Philippe actually is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a Rolls Royce. I've driven in one and that's about as far as I've got. I've never had a gold card. All I've got is being dull. Now, all of this can be difficult, says the writer of this particular article, because many of the very wealthy have spent their lives clawing their way free of dullness and of being ordinary. They don't want to be ordinary again. Maybe they need to hear the wisdom of the Proverbs writer tonight. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Wisdom's observations, they're really interesting, aren't they? They're just sort of looking at the world, examining what's the reality of our world. 
You can't look at Proverbs chapter 23 without seeing that with wealth comes a whole list and raft of warnings. Have a look at this. Wisdom's warnings. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off into the sky like an eagle. One minute your riches are there. One minute your bank account is massive. And the next minute, it's gone. There's nothing wrong with having riches, being wealthy, so says the writer of Proverbs. But he says they don't last very long. Have you had that experience where you've started a day with a bit of money in your wallet and you get to the end of the day and go, where the heck is it all gone? I have it all the time. It's a bit like that. One minute you've got money, but next minute it's just gone. In particular, he wants to help us see that one minute you'll have it, the next minute it's gone. And he wants us to really examine and warn us about how we've accrued our wealth in this world. Now have a look at a few of these. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. Food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouth full of gravel. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a snare. A stingy man is eager to get rich, but is unaware that poverty awaits him. Now that's a picture of the person who just saves and saves and saves and saves and is never at all generous with their money. Stinginess is not a virtue, brothers and sisters, to be desired if you're a Christian. I find myself being a sting quite often, I reckon. But I'm not quite as stingy as these people. I read another article about a newspaper that ran a competition, and the competition title was How Cheap Are You? I mean, only in America, they say, but I reckon we could do equally as well. But some of the people wrote in, they were looking for hot tips about how to save money, uh, one retired man, and this is nothing against retired men, but a retired man wrote in and said how he separated his two-ply toilet paper <laughs> to make it last twice as long. Another couple, now I, don't, I hope to never meet these people, another couple saved dental floss by hanging it on a bathroom hook to reuse it. I mean, that's just disgusting. One man cut full vacuum bags in half, emptied them out, and then sewed them back together again and reused them. All to save, 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 save. I'm, I'm all about being resourceful, but I think that's just taking it a bit too far. That is cheap. Uh, I think I've told this to Adele, my wife. She may not know this, but one of my ambitions when I was dating my wife was to take her out on a date only using shopper dockets. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty cheap. That's about how romantic it gets in my life. I was, pretty, I was pretty rebuked by that talk last week on sex, by the way. I was a lot of romance missing in my life. But don't get rich that way, so says the writer. Don't get rich by being stingy. Fraud is not recommended. And the fortune made by lying and deceit is also not recommended. That is not appropriate for people who know God and love God. Yet I think we're all prone to these things. We're prone to this perhaps as well. Do not eat the food of a begrudging host. Uh, do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Uh, get this, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. 
You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. Have you ever taken someone out for dinner you know, and said, hey, it's my shout, or, you know, hey, come out for lunch with me, I'll pay today. And, you know, the, the waitress or the waiters come to the table and put the menus on the table. And in your heart and in your mind, you're saying, don't eat the lobster. <laughs> like, I'm really generous, but not that generous. You know, or, hey, I've, I've eaten here before, the Wagyu is awful. You know, you don't want the Wagyu, it's a low grade, it's pretty average. That's not a good way to make money and to be and gain your wealth, so says the writer of Proverbs. It's not a helpful way to gain wealth. Because, friends, poverty, our poverty, is not a gauge of spiritual health, but our generosity is a gauge of our spiritual health. And a right use of the wealth that God has given us is a good gauge of our spiritual health. I knew a man, uh, his name was Alan, uh, he was, he professed to be a, a really solid Christian guy. He loved Jesus, he told me, when I was growing up. Uh, he gave much to the church. He gave much to the community. Uh, he had this massive house with a beautiful garden and multiple seats that you could sit in the garden and offered them to the community just to come and wander through his garden all the time. Uh, he ran a, a very successful at the time finance company, a private finance company, managing thousands and thousands of individuals and families' money across Adelaide. Uh, he was a, an active member of his local church. Uh, but it came out that the way Alan was doing all that he wanted to do, the way that he was driving fancy cars, owning big homes, buying his wife fancy gifts, was all through fraud. He was massively exposed. So when people came to him and wanted you know, to, to realise their investments... He'd give them money at the time when he could, but when the money ran out, it became clear that he was embezzling funds. And his life just fell to pieces. And so one day, as he was driving his car down one of the highways in Adelaide, between Adelaide and Melbourne, he drove his car straight into the front of an oncoming truck. And he's dead. He claimed to love Jesus, but he didn't hear the warnings of Proverbs. He he gained wealth inappropriately through fraud, deceit, through lying. And through that, his whole family has been ripped to shreds. Uh, his wife is literally now living in poverty because all that she thought she owned has been just ripped out from under her. It, the life that she knew, the husband she knew, has all gone. Now, Proverbs says, don't gain wealth that way. That's wrong. And I don't, it's, it's done untold damage to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in various parts of Adelaide where he was seen as a generous man, but it was all pretense. Now, friends, we need to hear these warnings and maybe one of those particular areas of the warnings is something that you need to repent of tonight. Lying, fraud, deceptive practices. And speak to me after if you need to. Friends, some of the most generous people that I know in my walk with Jesus and people that I know who are solid Christian people, I've often been some of the wealthiest people I know. But they've understood what it means to be wealthy, that it's God's money that they've been blessed with and they want to be generous with it towards others, with not just their money but with their service to God. Wisdom's warning to show restraint in the pursuit of wealth and to show generosity in our use of it. What about wisdom's priorities? Where does that leave us with how we then really are to 
to think about money in the world. This money that's been given to us by God. Everything, every good thing has come to us from God. Wisdom's priorities. Wealth, and this is, when we think of Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, don't wear yourself out to get rich. This is really the reason why we aren't to wear ourselves out to get rich because wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. Uh, There is a day coming where you can't come to God with your wealth and say, here you go, I've made enough money, can I get out of this nasty day of wrath? I've even got a big check. You know the checks they give to the sports people when they win a tournament? It's a big one. On the day of wrath, all of our wealth will be worthless. So says the writer of Proverbs. They'll do nothing for you. There is the peril of riches, the deceit of riches, the hollowness of colonial bank crying out to you, hey, make more money, you know, you'll do better, you'll be more successful, you'll be more influential, you'll be more powerful. I mean, sure, that might be the case in this lifetime, but when Jesus returns or when you are taken by, you know, when you, your life comes to an end, well, your wealth will be worthless. And I think that really narrows it down to the question, what are you doing with your wealth today? Are you just sitting around growing it? Is all your time at home taken up by trading on the internet, growing that extra dollar? Or are you being thankful and generous with the money that you've been given now and using it uh, for the generosity towards God's people and to this world? Have a look at this. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. But the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. For those who have eyes to see that wealth is actually not where their security truly is, that wealth is not where the insurance in their life lies, but see that it lies in Jesus, in the Lord. Jesus, the Lord, becomes their fortified city, their rock, their salvation. But for the fool, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Building up a portfolio, building up wealth in this world, as if that will protect us on the day of wrath, as if that will get us across the line when Jesus returns or when we're called to an account. It'll be devastating. We sing that song, How Great Is Our God. Sing with me, How Great Is Our God. Whenever I sing that song, I I think of all the people I know who don't love Jesus, uh, who actually are doing just this, building their own fortified tower, hoping that'll survive the day when we see how great is our God. I kind of sing that song with a kind of a split personality, I think, where I think, no, I love, I think that's going to be a great day, but I'm also desperately hoping that people won't fall into this trap. Before I was a student minister here, I was a student minister up on the Insular Peninsula uh, in Newport, and... Uh, the, I was part of a, a morning congregation there. I was part of the two congregations. But the morning congregation in particular was 
had an average age of about 950, no, about the average age of about sort of 80 years old or thereabouts. Uh, and I was there when the global financial crisis hit. And there's plenty of wealthy people that were part of that small but strong congregation uh, who had built over their whole course of their life a fortified city of wealth and investment and assets, but actually hadn't had their heart converted by the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who came to church week in, week out, thinking, yeah, that's okay, you know, I'm, I'm good with God, I'll be okay. But it actually took the global financial crisis in three lives in particular to bring them to humility before honour. It actually brought them to their knees where one day, within one day for many of them, all of their superannuation, the, the Colonial Bank, for example, I'm not having a stab particularly tonight, just for the tape at Colonial Bank, but all those hollow promises that had been made by all these people that you'll be okay, you'll be okay. Uh, one minute they were wealthy, the next minute wiped out. Gone from a lot to virtually nothing. Three of the oldies up there, for one of a more affectionate term, gave their heart and their lives to Jesus because their fortified tower had been taken out from underneath them and they realised that the Lord was their only sure hope and lasting eternal value in this world. One of them, one of them has died subsequently and he's with the Lord. Because he trusted not in his own righteousness, but in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ to save him, to forgive him of his sins and to give him a new heart. A heart that didn't just create idols day after day after day, but sought to be generous towards God, to be rich towards God. I love hearing his story. It was a, it's a beautiful thing. Friends, Here's what the writer says. Choose my instruction. Choose the word of God. Choose graining in the knowledge of God. Choose that, he says, rather than silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. And if you look for it for, as, as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure... Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We are not to spend our time seeking wisdom from this world and looking for hidden treasure in the silver and gold that the gospel speaks will rust and perish and can be stolen by robbers. But in that which is lasting and will not perish, will not spoil, will not fade, knowledge of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, I don't know about you, but I find myself all the time pursuing wisdom in all other areas of the world rather than coming to know God better, rather than seeking his wisdom. I sometimes fall for the rhetoric of the advertisers. I fall for the rhetoric. You know that rhetoric of the Cross Lotto Company? You can spend the rest of your life. That tempts me all the time. I'm almost tempted to get off the seat in my couch, walk down to the newsagent, buy a lotto ticket, thinking maybe I could spend the rest of my life. But then I actually think, no, I'd rather spend the rest of my life with God rather than spending it at Zara or Ikea 
or actually not spending it at all because I'll be out of relationship with God. Friends, pursue knowledge of God more than money. Because, friends, Jesus is a better option than money. Uh, Jesus says this, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in, abundance of, in an abundance of possessions. That's, the, parable, that's the, the story we had read out from Luke's Gospel where Jesus is interact. He hears these couple of guys arguing over an inheritance. Uh, there's the saying, where there's a will, there's a crowd. Uh, there's people gathering around, these two guys kind of going, hey, someone's died, I want the cash, show me the money. And, he's, and he comes up to Jesus, hey, Jesus, give me some advice, tell us what to do here. And Jesus doesn't actually go, okay, John, you can have 49%. Uh, Sam, you were slightly better, you can have 51% because your dad liked you fractionally more. No, no, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I'm not your judge. He actually says, watch out for the danger of greed and its deceitfulness. Jesus doesn't use that word ever. He doesn't say watch out for sexual immorality. Uh, he doesn't watch, say watch out for anything else. He says watch out for greed because it's insidious and it comes in all shapes and forms. He cuts to the heart because the heart is the issue of the matter at the time. And he then says, don't store up riches and treasures on earth. Be rich towards God. It's radical stuff that Jesus says here. We can't lose the radical nature of what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on in Matthew's gospel. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is Jesus. He's the wisest guy that ever lived. And he's telling us, you cannot serve both God and money. We brought nothing into the world. We'll take nothing out of it. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Friends, the ultimate solution to our grasping and our desperate clutches for more more wealth, more stuff, more possessions, more material goods, is not simply just saying no to something. Of limited value, which is, you know, money is of limited value at the end of the day. We've seen that, Proverbs 11.4. But saying yes to something that's of infinitely much more worth and is much better. Jesus is much better than money. Jesus is eternal. Money will perish. Money is like vapor. It'll go. Jesus is not just on about giving us financial advice. He's actually saying, I want to change your heart and your desire. Shift it from desires of this world to desires of, well, really the world to come. That we'd invest our lives into our eternity and into that others would know that eternity as well. Jesus says um, these amazing words. At the, end of, at the end of that passage, at the end of the chapter in Luke's Gospel, he says, do not be afraid, little flock. Aren't they beautiful words? Like Jesus goes from this powerful, watch out, to then addressing us, like almost hugging us, addressing his disciples. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, 
Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't hand you a little check and says, thanks very much for joining the club. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you come into relationship with the God of the world, the God of the universe. And because of being in relationship with Jesus, guess we get the kingdom. We get the kingdom that will never perish, that is eternal, where we gather around the throne of the Lamb forever, praising him for being our saviour and our Lord, for him coming into the world, for laying down his life, that he might become poor, that we might become rich and be reconciled to God. The little bit of money that I have, which I've been given by God, and there's necessities that I need to use that for, but I want to be investing into people's eternity. I want to be investing into lives that they may be saved. I was really convicted during the week. I was reading Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 9 and 10 says, Never tire of doing good. And in particular, never tire of doing good for the people of faith. Now let's, friends, be those who are generous with our money, are generous with our time, are not hoarding it for ourselves. One of the greatest fears I have is, is actually going through my bank accounts and actually watching and looking at where all my money's going. Um, and then I look at my bank account and I sort of say to myself, why am I keeping so much of it? What does that say about my trust in God? That I'm building my own fortified tower whilst trying to hold up this faith in God at the same time? We need to be generous with what God has given us, uh, investing into eternity investing into the lives of others so that they might know God. And we need to be helping each other with our money as well and keeping each other accountable with our money also. Let me finish with this story. Uh, I'm at Bible College. Uh, there's about 40 of us in my year at Bible College and um, I'm pretty confident that each one of the 40 of us there love Jesus. Um, we want to serve Jesus. We want to serve his people. One of the guys in our group, um, he is expecting twins um, very, very soon. And, and they're a little bit like what's happening with Paul and Rachel. Um, she, Robin's gone into premature labor um, 12 weeks before the due date. Um, and they're doing everything they can to sort of plug the hole, hope that it doesn't happen. And... One of the things that they need desperately is a new car. They've already got a child. They need a bigger car to transport their, these three little kids that are going to come. Um, a uh, he put a plea. He, he, he reached out to the community of God's people at college and said, can you help me? I need some help. We need some financial help. And I've got a role at college, which sort of means that I can sort of activate a few of these things and get some things going. And so I made an announcement to my year and I said, hey, guys, Ben and Robin, they need some money. Uh, can we come up to get, you know, can we come together and as, as Christian peoples, continue, can people to be good with our money and do good to others? 
I sent an email around with all the bank account details where they could put them up, people could put the money in. I sort of thought, maybe we could raise 500 bucks. Maybe we could, you know, amongst us, we could raise 500 bucks. That might pay for the tyres on the car they don't actually even have. But it could get them started somewhere. And, and we prayed that, we, that God would change us, that God would use us to be generous. Um, the other day, I got to announce to Robin and to Ben and to our year that as a year group, we raised almost $5,000 uh, for these guys. And I don't, I don't take pride in that. I'm just amazed that God has worked so powerfully through his people uh, and caused us to be generous. And I, I'd love that to be what happens here at our church. Uh, that when someone's in need, our first thought is, I've been saved by a most generous God who loves me, who gave his life for me, whose life was ransomed so that I might go free. And that might cause us to rather than our dollars, but actually therefore cause us to be generous to one another, that we trust and love each other that much. Wouldn't that be an amazing witness to our community? Not that we would put it on the front of the church and say, hey, we raised this much money for this guy, aren't we awesome? But that would just be a testimony to the way that we love God first and foremost and we know we're loved by him and that's changed our hearts to be generous. I'd love to see that. I'd love to hear stories trickling around that people are well looked after. It doesn't have to be just money but just being generous to one another of our time, our energy. Friends, don't waste your life chasing wealth. Have wisdom to show restraint. And love God, not money, as our Lord Jesus Christ causes us to think upon tonight. I'm going to pray that God would do that in our hearts tonight. Let's pray. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. I'm just going to give you a moment in the quietness of your heart to repent perhaps tonight of those ways in which you have inappropriately sought to gain wealth. Give it to God. He will forgive you because of the blood of Jesus. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Sovereign God, you know that we live in a world where that temptation is immense and presses in all around us. We cry to you, Father, this night for wisdom, wisdom to resist it, wisdom to chase what is infinitely more precious, a growing knowledge of Jesus, which is wisdom to enjoy eternity with you. And Father, we do pray that you'd have your way with our wallets and our purses that you would give us, cause us to be generous. Because Jesus and yourself have been generous to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.